Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Whenever Easter comes, I always get invariably the question uh, whether or not we're going to have a service on Sunday, uh, because Sunday is Easter Sunday, and uh, instead of doing it on Saturday, which uh, since the very beginning has been the day that we have uh, gathered together as a church. And it's interesting because I, I understand the impetus, and, and Easter, is a, uh, Easter Sunday is a great day, and I hope that many of you will take the Easter Sunday to go find one of the many great churches in our city. Uh, there's some great churches inside San Francisco. Uh, there's lots of places that you can go to enjoy Easter Sunday. Um, some of you are going to just take the opportunity to find a nice place to eat. Uh, man, I'm talking about a lot, food a lot today. Um, but I, I love the fact that we gather on Saturday at Easter time. And the reason is, is that Saturday is symbolic of the time that we are living in. You see, if you ask historians, they will tell you that there is plenty of scriptural, but also extra scriptural outside of the Bible um, are um, documents that exist today that verify the story of Easter. They verify that right around the time that Herod was the governor of the area, and that Pilate, Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem, that there was a man named Jesus who started an uprising among the Jews in Jerusalem, that he was crucified at the order of Pilate, and that he died. This is not something that is debated. Historians will tell you there is so much evidence of it that that's what happened The only thing that really is in dispute and the only thing that separates Christians from the rest of the world in believing what happened that day is the event that is the basis for Christianity. See, Christianity is very interesting because it's not founded on a person's teaching. There are many world religions that are founded on teachings. Christianity is not founded on a person. It's there are lots of world religions that are founded on a person. Christianity is the only major world religion that was founded on an event. And that event was the resurrection. It is the distinguishing mark between what we believe and what many in the rest of the world believe. And that is that, yes, Jesus died, but he rose again. And that's the entire Easter story. But what a lot of people don't think about is this. The week before Jesus went into Jerusalem, or the week before his crucifixion, when he went into Jerusalem, he was received by the people in Jerusalem as a king. Many of you know that day as Palm Sunday. And the reason that they call it Palm Sunday was because on that day, Jesus came from the mountains overlooking Jerusalem, and he came down from the mountain and he entered into the city. Scripture tells us that he rode on a donkey, which in that time and in that culture, only kings would enter into the city riding on a donkey. And as a tribute to any king that would come in, they would lay down palm branches 
Sometimes they would lay down their own coats. But on this Sunday, they laid down palm branches on the roads as Jesus entered the city. Because everyone there thought that this could be the Messiah that the prophets from hundreds of years later predicted would be coming to set the Jewish people free. And they thought maybe this was the guy. And so when he, when he was in the countryside and he was doing miracles and people heard of him feeding thousands of people and people heard of him healing diseases that no one could heal and people heard of him raising people from the dead, they thought this has to be him. This has to be the Messiah. This has to be the guy that all of the prophets told us was going to be coming to set us free. And they gave him the reception of a military king because that's what they expected. And that's what they wanted. And so when Jesus came into the city, and he wasn't that military king, and he came in and he wasn't what they expected, Jesus went, and as if you've ever seen some of the movies that are out, if you grew up in church, you've heard this everything that happened, that Jesus was tried and convicted falsely, that he carried his own cross, and he was crucified, and he died. On Friday night, he died. And to everybody who followed him, to all of his believers, to all of the disciples, to Matthew, who was with Jesus from the very beginning, who called him out of his job as a tax collector, to Peter... To Mark, all of these men who had followed him for three years into the wilderness, into the jungle, across the seas, they followed him. They thought that when he died on that Friday night, it was done. It was over. And on Saturday, they didn't know what to do. They thought that there was just... It's like you're about to go into a business deal and, and someone was going to be investing money in your company and it was going to save your company and then that someone died. Or you had a fiancé who was going to completely change your life and you couldn't wait until you got married and then that person died. It wasn't just the victory that died that day. It was the dreams of every single one of those people that died. And in the Saturday, it was the exact same as we are today. We don't know what's going on. For many people in the world, they think that this is it. This is all that there is, that there is no more chance, that you're on your own, that everything that happens in your life now is only up to you because they did not know what was about to happen that following day. They didn't know. They were living in the Saturday, and today we as a people are living in that Saturday. We are living in that time of uncertainty, that time where many, many people around us don't know how the story is going to end. But the wonderful thing for those of you who are here who are Christians is that we know how the story ends. And that's why if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're watching us online and you're not a Christian, and you see all of this Easter stuff, and sure, some guy was raised from the dead, and you think to yourself, hmm, 
yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, raised from the dead, okay, believe whatever you want. I understand that it's a strange thing to accept. But what we're going to look at today and what we're going to see in Scripture is that there is so much evidence of it that it can't be anything else. And that all of the people who talk about Jesus as just being this really, really good guy, there's people who believe that Jesus was just a prophet, but he was a man. If you read his life story and the words that he said, you can't think that. See, Jesus doesn't give any room for us to believe that he was just a good prophet. Because if Jesus was the son of God as he said he was, which what, that is what I believe, that he is the son of God, and that's what he said he was, then it is only belief and trust in him that gets us in with God. But for us to believe that Jesus was just a man and was just a, a prophet and nothing else, that would have to mean that we would have to accept that he was totally nuts. Because there is no man, no spiritual teacher who would say the blasphemous things that Jesus said about himself. You can't have it both ways. He was either telling the truth or he was a total nut job. And we get to choose. What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about what that threshold is for Jesus. And it all happens and, and in just a few days' time, and that's what we're going to look at in Scripture. We're going to start in the book of John, which was written by John. And, you know, back in this particular time period, if you wrote a book, they named it your name. So if I had written a book, they would have named it Caesar, which if I did that today, no one would buy it. But back then, everybody was all over it. And so there's this account of this person, and I want to go through it because it's very important. This guy that we're going to talk about, his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus plays a very key role in Jesus' uh, last few days. And it's a, it's a role that we don't really think about. Many of you haven't even heard of Nicodemus. Some of you don't know that if it wasn't for Nicodemus, we may not be where we are today, that, that we may not have the confirmation that Jesus did die, that the beginnings and foundings of the Christian faith may not have gotten to where it is today if it wasn't for this one man. So we're going to look at John 3, 1, and this is what it says. He starts off with this. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, if you grew up in church, one of the things that you know is, is whenever you see the word Pharisee, you know that that is a bad guy. Well, not all Pharisees were bad guy, but as a group, they were, you know, they were, uh, they were not looked well upon, like the Dodgers. <laughs> but seriously, if you're watching us online and you're a Dodger fan, I'm just kidding. All right, so there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, uh, who was a Pharisee. And then it says this, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, this is important because Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a Pharisee. Not everybody is a Pharisee and you can't just call yourself a Pharisee. Pharisees were a specific group of religious leaders. And if you were a Pharisee, if you were one of them, everybody knew who you were, who you were. So 
Nicodemus is going to talk to Jesus after dark one evening. And the only reason you go and visit somebody after dark in the evening is because you don't want anyone else to know that you're going to see him. So this religious leader wanted to talk to this guy, Jesus, that everybody had been talking about. He didn't want anyone else to know. So he goes there one evening to speak with him. And he says, Rabbi, which is just a Jewish word that means teacher. He says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Now, this is a significant admission from Nicodemus. You see, what he's saying is, is we, when he talks, we, he's talking about the Pharisees. You see, even though they were coming after Jesus, they knew that there was something different about him. That there was something different in the way that he spoke. There was something different about the things that he was doing. And so I don't know if they got together and they said, Nicodemus, you're the guy to go to talk to Jesus. Or if there was just a small group of them who started talking and said, maybe this might be the guy. Maybe one of us should go talk to him. But they did. And he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. And then he says this. He says, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. See, he's saying, listen, we're not sure what's going on between you and God, but there is some evidence. There's some evidence that there is some special connection between you and God. Jesus answers him and he says this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, sitting here today, many of you have heard that term born again. Uh, Many of you refer to yourselves as having been born again. Maybe some of you who uh, aren't Christians or have walked away from Christianity, you've stayed away from people who come up to you and say that they were born again. It has such a bad connotation these days. But in this time, there was no such thing. And so when Jesus says to him, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God Well, he's thinking physically like being back inside his mother's stomach and being born again, which if you think about that too long, gets kind of weird, right? That's what he, but that's what he's thinking because that's the only reference that he has. So Nicodemus replies, he says, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. I don't understand what you're saying. What are you talking about? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And then he goes into this whole thing, which Nicodemus didn't get at that time. But he goes into this whole thing where he says, you know, um, humans have humans, just like cats have cats and dogs have dogs, right? Dogs don't have cats. And, and he, he, he explains to him all of these things. And he says, you have to be born again. And then at the end of that, he says, Jesus says this. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. And Nicodemus still doesn't understand it. And he just says, how are these things possible? In other words, I hear what you're saying, but it makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. 
Jesus, a few verses later, would reply like this. He would say, no man has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And then he says this interesting thing. He refers back to an event that happened hundreds of years ago, an event that happened when the Israelites had been freed from Egypt. You know, all of you who have seen the Ten Commandments, you've seen this. So Charlton Heston is up there and he's leading them out of Egypt, right? Some of you may have seen the cartoon Prince of Egypt, which is one of my favorites. But all of them end up the same with, with um, Moses taking them out of, of, um, of Egypt and bringing them. And they are walking into this word that they call the wilderness. And, and while they were in the wilderness... Something happened. And so Jesus refers to it. He says this in the next verse. He says, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, and what they were referring to was this time where the Israelites were in the wilderness and there were snakes all over the place. And the snakes were biting people and the people were dying. And so they went to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, snakes are biting us and we're dying. I mean, I'm sure they said it differently, but that's in my mind, that's how it plays out. You know, Hey, Moses. We're dying. And so Moses goes to God, and this is the answer that God gives them. God says, okay, um, what, you want, what I want you to do is so that your, your, your people won't die anymore, is that you take a pole and you put a bronze snake. So they got bronze and they melted it and shaped it into a snake and put it on the top of a pole. And then they would hold that pole up way high so that everyone could see it, And if you ever got bit by a snake, all you had to do was look up at the pole and look up at that bronze snake and you wouldn't die. You'd be healed. And so Jesus is referring back to this story that had been told and passed on from generation to generation. And he says, just as that happened, where the bronze snake was lifted up on a pole, he says, so the son of man must be lifted up so that. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And so what Jesus was doing was he was equating himself being lifted up. And still at this point, Nicodemus doesn't know what he's talking about. But himself being lifted up so that they would have eternal life. Well, Jesus is now, he, he's back, we're back in, in Jerusalem. And he's preaching and teaching and healing And the religious leaders are not happy. So what they did was they sent out the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. The temple guards go. They see Jesus. They're hanging out there for a while. They want to arrest him, but he's surrounded by a bunch of people. And they decide that they can't arrest him. So they go back to the religious leaders, back to the Pharisees, and they say, you know, we couldn't do it. So we move forward, and here's John's account of it. In uh, chapter 7, it says, When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, right? So here are the guards, and they said, Go arrest Jesus, which should be a simple thing because the guy is unarmed, you know. And if you look at the, believe the pictures that you see, uh, um, that you may have grown up with or you've seen online, you know, he's got long flowing hair and he's wearing a white robe and he doesn't have really any kind of ammunition on him. And so it should be pretty easy for the temple guards to arrest this guy, but they don't. They return without having arrested Jesus. So it says the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? He's like, there's 20 of you and there's just him. Why couldn't you bring him in? And this is what they said. They said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. 
See, the temple guards, they've been around for a while. And over the years, Jesus wasn't the first guy to come up and get a following and pretend or and claim to be the Messiah. So the temple guards were used to having somebody out there causing a lot of ruckus and going out and, and, and having to arrest them because they were saying things that they shouldn't be saying. Well, the religious leaders thought, this is going to be easy. I'll just send the temple guards. But they came back and they said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. The guards responded. And so the Pharisees, they're like, they can't believe it, right? Because the Pharisees are probably, you know, they're, 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 they're more professionals. They're educated people. They're used to sitting in an office all day. And so you have the temple guards. You know, temple guards are working out all the time. And they're, they're armed and they've got all their stuff. And so the Pharisees look at them and they say this. Have you been led astray too? It's, it's, uh, that's Pharisee talk for, seriously? You guys have been fooled too? And then they say this. They say, is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? In other words, come on, if we don't believe in this guy and we are Pharisees, I mean, we know the scriptures, we know the prophecies, we know everything about everything. And if we don't believe in him, how can you believe in him? Next verse says, this foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. And so he's really, really upset. Now, here are the Pharisees. And I don't know if they're in a big room or if they're in a courtyard somewhere, but they've all gathered together. And they've said, hey, we want you to go out and arrest this guy. They say it to the temple guards. Temple guards come back. And they're like, no, we couldn't do it. There's something different about this guy. And in that group of Pharisees was our good friend Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says this. In the, in the, in, it says, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier. See, so this is the same Nicodemus spoke up. And this is what he said. He said, is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? And isn't that interesting that even today now we're dealing with a lot of the same stuff, right? Is it okay really for us to walk in and arrest the guy knowing that there's already a verdict and we're not even going to give him the chance to defend himself? There's going to be no trial. He's going to go straight to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're going right in. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked? And this is what their response was. They said, are you from Galilee too? Now, Galilee was a little tiny town. And uh, since I already offended everybody from Southern California with that Dodgers comment, I'm not going to pick out a tiny town that we all know and make fun of it. But imagine a tiny, tiny town out in the middle of nowhere where it's like everybody knows where it is, kind of, but not really exactly where it is. Well, that's Galilee. Galilee was kind of a backwards little place. And here is one thing that the Pharisees knew. The Pharisees knew that the Messiah was foretold to be from Bethlehem. And everybody understood Jesus to be from Galilee. Now, I, when people... To ask me where am I from, or at least before when they asked, well, actually even now, but before when they used to ask me where I was from, I would say that I was from San Francisco. 
But if you are from San Francisco and you said, where are you from? I would say I was from Daly City because Daly City is where I grew up. I, I was in Daly City from, you know, like that to about that. I was in Daly City for 30 years. So when people ask me where I'm from, I tell, I tell them that's where I'm from. That's, that's my hometown is Daly City. But I was actually born in the Philippines. And I came here when I was like one year old. So that's why I don't have an accent and uh, stuff like that. But <laughs> no, seriously, that's why. But listen, but so just because uh, I tell everybody that I'm from Daly City, it doesn't mean that's where I was born. And so the prophecy that the Pharisees understood was that the Messiah was coming from Bethlehem and Jesus was understood to be from Galilee. So they said, listen, this can't be the guy. And he was really insulting Galilee and all the Galileans because when Nicodemus asks his question, which they all think is a stupid question, they say, are you from Galilee too? Really? And then they tell him, and this is, this is where they, they confirm the prophecy. They say, search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet has ever, no prophet ever comes from Galilee. And that was it. And they got mad. So they found another way. And they riled up the people. And they got the people to go up against Jesus. And eventually he was arrested. He was arrested on that Friday night. And he was brought, well, it was Friday, early Friday morning. And he was brought at night to the courthouse, but not in front of the judges. And there he was convicted. And the Jewish leaders sent him to Pontius Pilate. And they said that we want this guy to be executed. And Pontius Pilate said to them, I thought that this was your king. And John tells us that when they when when Pilate said to him, I thought this was your king. The answer that they shouted back was this. We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. And then Jesus was taken away. And he was beaten. And he was forced to carry his cross to the place where he would be crucified. Now, one of the interesting things about history is that, and and I I don't know if we really pick this up, but crucifixion was was really not the, the, although the final outcome of crucifixion was death, people weren't crucified in order to kill them. People were crucified in order to send a message to the rest of the people that they better not mess around or else this is what's going to happen to you. See, crucifixion wasn't painless and it wasn't quick. What they would do is they would nail you to the cross. And we see pictures of crosses and they're, you know, 10, 20 feet up in the air. But historians tell us that crosses weren't tall up high like that. They were tall, but they weren't that high. In fact, they were right just a couple of feet above eye level. So when someone was crucified, they were like right here. They weren't 10 feet up in the air. And the reason was is that they wanted people to walk by and see the person who was crucified. 
And they wanted the person who was crucified to stay alive as long as possible. And how you died when you were, when in crucifixion, how you died was that you suffocated. See, what would happen is, is you'd be hanging on the cross and um, it would... It would do something in your lungs, and I don't have all of the science behind it, but it would do something in your lungs that your lungs would collapse and then you would suffocate. That's how you would die. So in order to prolong the pain and to prolong the person's life, they would nail a small seat to the cross, just a small piece of wood where the person could basically sit on and not let his insides here collapse in and so that he could breathe and stay alive longer on the cross. And this is what happened to Jesus. And so they placed him on the cross, and Jesus was there, and he had his arms stretched out, and people were mocking him. The guards were laughing at him. They rolled the dice to see who was going to get his clothes because they didn't want to wait until it got to the thrift store. They wanted to make the deal right now. I mean, they were doing horrible things. And then Jesus died. Unexpectedly, he died. And he was hanging on the cross. And Nicodemus must have been there, seeing Jesus hanging on the cross. And then he remembered what Jesus had told him. He said, and as Moses, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then, and this is the part that is important because this is the part that has to do with you and me. He says, and this is what Jesus said, he says, so that, or this is what John wrote about Jesus, he says, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now think about this for a minute, because this is what throws a lot of people, especially for many of you who aren't Christians and you're listening to us today. This is one of those things where many of you, like me, I had a time in my life where I needed to stay away from Christians because Christians would talk one way, but do something completely different. Do you know any of those guys? If you're thinking of me, I'm sorry. And I'll readily admit, I, was pro- I, I have been that guy. And again, if you're thinking of me, I'm sorry. <laughs> but listen to what he's saying. He says, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. It doesn't say anyone who behaves properly. It doesn't talk about how you behave. It talks about what you believe. And here's where, this is the part that opens everything up for us. Because for too many years, people have thought that the way to get in, with, get in good with God was to behave a certain way. And the Pharisees, that was them. They were professional good people. That is what they did for a living. They just were good. They didn't really have a job other than being good because any time that they expected the Messiah to come or any time they expected to have any kind of encounter with God, they wanted to know that they were good, that they did everything right, that they behaved. 
And John tells us that we, we aren't saved, that we don't get in good with God, that we don't get to be a follower of Jesus because of how we behave. Because listen, whether you are a follower of Jesus for 10 minutes, 10 years, or 110 years, you aren't going to behave well every single minute. Some of you are still looking for that behave well. Right? Thank God that that is not the threshold. Thank God that that is not what he set up uh, for us to do in order to get in good with him. He didn't say, you have to do this, do this, do this. No, he said, listen, if you want to get in good with me, if you want to have eternal life, which just means that you are permanently connected to the source of life, if you want this, you don't have to worry about behaving. All you have to worry about is believing. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah would describe Jesus' death, and he would say this. He says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. And the prophet is telling us exactly what would happen. He says, he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And then he says this. He says, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. What the prophet is saying is this. We're never going to get it all right. We're never going to be able to do everything that that we think that we need to do in order to be good. It's just not going to happen. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do a lot of them intentionally. Some of us are planning them right now. And he says that all of those things were laid on Jesus. And Jesus knew that. He knew that he had to take every mistake that you've ever made, every mistake that you're making right now, everything that you're doing wrong or you plan to do in the future, and then all of my stuff, and then all of everyone else's stuff that has happened in the past, that's going on today, that's going to happen in the future. He's took all of that and he put it on Jesus. And then John says, at the end, he says, when Jesus had tasted it because they gave him some sour wine as a, as a kind of a, an anesthetic, something to help him with the pain. So they put it on some leaves and put it up to his mouth and, and a little bit dripped on his lips. And it says, then when, he, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. I've done what I have come here to do. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And that was it. Now, afterward, let's go, to, go, let's go straight to John 19.38. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who was also one of the Pharisees, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Now, this was a significant thing because in that time... When someone was crucified, the family wasn't allowed to take the body. They would take the body off of the cross when the person had died and probably had been there rotting for a while. And they would take them, and there was a valley uh, called the Valley of Gehenna, and there was just like a pit. It was like a landfill for bodies that had been crucified. 
And they would put all their garbage there, but they would also put the bodies of everyone who was crucified and they'd just dump them there. And that was what would have happened to Jesus. But Joseph of Arimathea was there and he said, he, he went to Pilate and he said, listen, can I have the body? And this is one of the religious leaders. So he had some weight when he went there. Can I have the body? This is Friday night now. Jesus had just died. It says the Pilate couldn't believe it because remember in crucifixion, it's supposed to last for days. So it says Pilate couldn't believe, Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. And it says the officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph that he could have the body. And then Mark tells us that this is what happened at the end. It says, he says, with him, with Joseph of Arimathea, with him came Nicodemus. With him came Nicodemus. So this guy who had been told that it's not about how you behave, it's about how you believe, he and this other person who were Pharisees, who were the enemies of Jesus, they went together, and this is what they did. It says that he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and alloys. In other words, they bought embalming fluid. 75 pounds of it. And then following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices in long sheets of linen cloth. So they would take strips of linen and they would take it and run it through that that ointment, that, that mixture of those spices. And then they would lay it and basically wrap the body in those sheets of linen. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And then that's where the rest of the story happens. If it wasn't for Joseph of Arimathea convincing Pilate to let him have Jesus's body, then Jesus would have rose the next day, but he would have rose coming out of the Valley of Gehenna. And he would have had, you know, like rat bites on him and, and he would be kind of bloody and all of those things. And when he came up, it wouldn't have been seen as a miracle because people would have said, well, he probably just didn't die. And now he's back because he never died. But Nicodemus, who was told that it's not about how you behave, but it's about what you believe. He put 70 pounds of ointment plus the cloth and confirmed that Jesus was dead. And it is because that he confirmed that Jesus was dead, that when he appeared the next day on that Sunday Easter morning, that everyone knew that it had to be a miracle because he was raised to life out of the grave. And that same Jesus who was raised to life is in the world today If you are a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, you have seen him work in your life. I have seen him work in mine. Listen, if you are not, then I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that he is there. And we may not see it. We we attribute things to to, uh, coincidence or to luck or to fate. But there is a God. And that God took the form of a man and his name was Jesus. 
And he willfully, without any pressure from anyone, said, I am going to pay the price for you. And it is because of this celebration that we join in much of the world this weekend in celebrating that we have the assurance that you are not saved by how you behave. You are saved by how you believe, by what you believe. And if you believe that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose again, that if you believe that, that you too can have the permanent connection to the source of life that he has promised and that so many of us have accepted. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, Look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.